Well, welcome here, everybody. We're glad that you are here. My name is Dan uh, McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Toronto. It's my pleasure to bring this morning to you a word from the book of Luke. We are going through a series on the things that we value as a church, and we have come to the matter of prayer. And so to read the relevant passage of Scripture, which is in your bulletin and will be on the screen, Sharon. Today's Scripture reading is from Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give you... Oh, sorry. I tell you, though, he he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, wherever you are in your journey of life, we are glad that you are here. We have been looking at what Jesus says to the church about what the church should value as followers of him as we continue to press into who we are called to be as a church. One of the values we have had for many years and still have is prayer. But prayer is complicated. For those of us who are not Christian, prayer seems quite murky, actually. I have been looking online at all the definitions, and it is quite variegated. It seems that the dominant view is that prayer is a kind of mindfulness that we do for our own self-care, calming, grounding, and health and wellness. But I want you to think about that if you're not a Christian for a moment. If you think that prayer is just speaking words into the air, what does that actually mean? If no one is listening and you're simply talking to the air, have you not seen people on the streets and in the subways who are talking to the air? What do you think of them? Either prayer is a spiritualized version of what we would normally call some kind of mental illness because we're deluded and we're simply talking to the air, or prayer is real because we're talking to someone who is there and who is listening. And the gospel says that's what prayer is. There is a God who is there, and prayer is talking to Him. 
He is the creator of the universe, the ruler and governor of all things. And prayer is the immense, infinite privilege of conversing with that God. I don't know if you are on social media. If you're under the age of 60, you probably are. If you're over 60, you wish you were. (laughs) You will notice on social media, sooner or later, into your feed, pictures, videos, primarily from TikTok, I think, but they come to me via Instagram. I'm too old for TikTok. Feeds of people going to airports to welcome celebrities as they land, lining up in the driveways of the hotels to wave at them and hopefully hear a word from these celebrities as they enter our city. We spend hours hoping for a glimpse that we can put on our phone and tell people we were there when Drake pulled in to the Ritz-Carlton. Imagine you can speak to the ruler of the universe anytime, anywhere. If you're considering Christianity, I submit to you, you may not believe it, but wouldn't it be amazing if it were true? For Christians, though, prayer is complicated for a different reason. Mostly, it's complicated by guilt and confusion, a sense of inadequacy. We know we should do it. We know it's an incredible privilege, but if we're honest, we don't do it enough. The reasons are legion. We're too busy. We're too unsure of what to pray for. We're too conflicted about what we're praying for. We're too guilty about how long it's been since we did it the last time, you name it. We're a little bit like the guy showing up at the gym on January 2nd. Been a while, feeling guilty for not being there, No, I need to do it, embarrassed that I'm doing it, but glad to be there, sort of, yeah. These verses help us diagnose some of these complicating problems that get in the way of our prayer life. Firstly, I submit to you that from these verses we will see we struggle with how to pray because we struggle with our own self-absorption. We're far too focused on ourselves. Life is too much about us. Secondly, we struggle because we fall into the delusion that we're in control of our lives, that we don't need any help to navigate this world, except for maybe technology and the occasional friend. And finally, we struggle because we get self-discouraged. Self-absorption, self-dependence, self-discouragement. These three things are three central obstacles to prayer, and in these verses are solutions. And so here are my three verses. I mean, here are my three points for you. You ready? Okay. Uh, The first point is how to pray. The second is how to pray, and the third is how to pray. Fairly memorable, I assure you. How to pray, how to pray, and how to pray. Remember, you get what you pay for. Okay, I will give you a little bit more nuanced and elegant points. I'll give you two. Firstly, Jesus shows us in the shape of prayer how to solve the issues of self-absorption and self-dependence. And then he shows us in the shamelessness of prayer how to get over a discouragement. The shape of prayer, how to pray, part one. Here, Luke is sharing what Jesus has taught as he teaches on how to pray. He gives us what we as Christians call the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit different than the one in Matthew because Jesus is a rabbi who travels around and repeats his teaching with some variations to all kinds of different audiences. In fact, 
the parable or the story he tells with the lesson it learns is also kind of a repetition. So these are both two, part two of some thing teachings he's already done. But in here, he starts with one word, Father, Pater. In the Matthew version, it's our Father. It's a nice corporate, sounds very formal. Here, commentators tell us the Father is more immediate and probably in the original Aramaic that Jesus said, more intimate, almost like Dad. Jesus is telling us that the presupposition of prayer is an intimate relationship with the God of the universe that you can call Father because He calls you son or daughter. He is confronting us here with a presupposition that we all need to start with. If you don't yet know God as Father, because you haven't yet accepted the gift of eternal life and adoption that is offered in Jesus, this is still future for you. But if you have, this is the real here and now for you. You're coming to the ruler of the universe who wants you to call him Father. <clears throat> then he says these words, hallowed be thy name. Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. There needs to be a bit of a bipolar disconnect in you to really understand these words because Father here is very intimate. Hallowed be thy name is very transcendent. Thy kingdom come is regal. And Jesus wants you to feel that dissonance and that disconnect because he's confronting this, your absorption with yourself. He wants you to take your eyes off yourself and see God for who he really is. Jesus is saying to us, stop confronting and engaging your own fame, your own self-actualization, your own glory, and look to God and see him as he really is. As we say, as we said in our young adults time last Wednesday, the Godness of God is presented to you here. The intimate Father who is the regal King and ruler of the universe. At the heart of the gospel, men and women, is the gospel of the glory of God. When God promised Israel, in a time of exile, that he was going to pour out his mercy and grace and restore them from that exile, he said these words, for my name's sake I will defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Do you hear that? God is infinitely passionate about His own glory, infinitely absorbed with His own greatness. Now you're like, well, that's self-absorption, that you just told me not to be self-absorbed but to be absorbed in Him. I'm like, okay, true but you're not him and he's not you. You see, for God to be God, he has to order his loves properly. He has to love that which is most lovely. He has to desire the glory of that which is most glorious. That's what being God should do. 
Otherwise, he's being unjust, he's being unethical, and he's being foolish. But for God to desire the greatest glory for that which is most glorious is for God to decide for the greatest glory of himself, because that is who he is. Men and women, we live in an introspective age. It's been called the therapeutic age, where we are trained culturally, socially, academically to focus on ourselves, our own wellness, self-care. Where did that cultural current come from? It came from the hearts of you and me. Our individual self-absorbed desires created a cultural current that now washes over us. James said it in chapter 4 of his letter. He said, you, even to Christians, you do not have because you do not ask. That word ask, if Kingsley were here, would be in the middle voice. That's asking and participating in it yourself. You do not really ask. You really ask, he says, middle voice, and don't receive because you really ask wrongly to spend it on your own pleasures. It is just here where we need to learn from Jesus how to shape our prayers appropriately. Jesus is saying part of the heart of prayer, part of the essence of prayer is to adore the godness of God and to desire reverently that that glory be pursued, hallowed, honored be your name throughout the earth. That same idea, that same trajectory is repeated when he says, your kingdom come. Now, think about the language here. He's, he started with father, but now he's moving into the language of king. This God is no ordinary father. He's the ruler of the cosmos. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He stands in the solitude of himself. He has no greater glory than his own. He is worthy, worthy, worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And at the end of time, the people who see him at the end of time, for time eternal, will say these words, Revelation 4, 11, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. Men and women, the heart of prayer, the heart that God wants to shape our hearts into is a heart for Him to be adored and worshipped and acknowledged as the God of the universe, the God of you and the God of all things. That glory that He possesses in and of Himself needs to be seen and acknowledged and desired and spread. This trajectory of prayer is reverence. What the Bible calls fear of God, what I would call a reverent desire for God to be glorified, for His reign to be established everywhere. That is the first shaping that God wants us to do, shaping into a reverent delight in God Himself, a reverent delight in Him that rebounds into the way that we shape our prayers. Do you delight? When was the last time you stopped, if you're a Christian, and just delighted in God as He is? Most of us get to the point where we delight in the love that God has for us. You see the self connection there. That's a good place to start. Christ has come 
in history for you to experience God's love to you. If you're not there yet, we want you to experience that. If you are there, we want you to go beyond that. Go from the love that's been given to the lover that gives it and see and adore and worship God. Reverent desire. Secondly, radical dependence. Kind of 1A of how to pray. He then goes to these three prayers. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. It would take a long time to dive down into each of them, but I want to show you what unifies these three. What unifies these three is that he's calling us to depend on God for our daily everything, our daily bread, our daily forgiveness for sin and continued fellowship with him because we sin daily no matter where we are in our journey of faith, and our daily help empowerment and protection from the temptations that this world brings upon us. I'm looking into some of the most talented and tempted people on the face of the earth. You are in this city. You are making it in this city. And you are tempted by this city, which has so many good things for you. but he's calling you to wake up to the reality of your fragility, that you are easily tempted, that you are easily sinning, and that you are actually depending on God. I know most of us don't think we need God for our daily bread. We have salaries that come in monthly if we're working. Our parents help us if we're studying. We think it's all good. Remember that thing called COVID? Remember when we thought we knew how the world worked and we knew we were in control and we were never going to have some kind of weird pandemic that would take everything we knew and turn it upside down? And guess what happened? It did. We are not in control of our lives. We are not in control of our jobs. We are not in control of our health. We are not. You are not in control of your own spiritual maturity. You need God to help you in all of those things. All of life is in the palm of God's hand, and from his hand comes your daily needs provided. Why is it so good that we pray in this way, in radical dependence and reverent desire or delight in God? I'll give you two reasons why it helps you in your prayer life. Firstly, it takes the focus off us. (laughs) It puts it on God. When you're excited about God, you want to talk to Him. It reminds us of His greatness, and it reminds us of His goodness. It not only takes our focus and puts us on God, it takes our delight and rests it on God. I have the pleasure of counseling many couples, uh, mostly engaged couples. Engaged couples are fun because they have no idea what they're getting into. (laughs) They're in that, you know, sweet honeymoon stage of their relationship. And so I love to do this with uh, engaged couples. Uh, You'll get it if you come into my office at some point. I will say, how's it going in your relationship with God? And their smiles shrink and their head goes down. 
And uh, I say, what's wrong? And they're, well, I haven't been this, and I haven't done that, and we haven't, and we haven't, and we haven't. Self-absorbed, self-dependent. They show it like that. So then I say, okay, well, how are you guys doing with each other? Big smiles. I usually ask the male fiance, how, tell me, how's this going? Oh, she's amazing. I'm, I'm learning these things, and, and we did this, and then we did that. And then I say to her, you know, her, how about, well, yeah, he's okay. No, they say nicer things than that, you know. Uh, no, we're enjoying each other. He did this. I'm really, you know, I feel this around him, and he really makes me feel that. And, and it's very about the other person. And I said, so how come when I ask you about your relationship with each other, you tell me all about how enjoyable the other is? But when I ask you about your relationship with your God, you tell me about how bad you are. What is your relationship with God based on if it's not the mutual love of a lover? Men and women, God sent his son Jesus, whom the Bible calls our bridegroom who came to make us his bride and who engaged himself to us, not by giving us a ring, but by allowing metal to go through his hands, his, his wrists, and his legs, who betrothed us to himself by dying on a cross for us. Above all relationships, if you are a Christian, your relationship with him should feel uh, much more like the enjoyment of your fiancé. All right. How to pray. Now, how to pray. <laughs> the shamelessness of prayer. In the story here, we encounter two households. One has an unexpected guest coming in at midnight. That's pretty late. I'm not sure which culture allows people to come in at midnight, but apparently in the ancient Near East, that could happen. There are no convenience stores that are open 24 hours. There are no convenience stores whatsoever. Whatever you have left is what you can feed your guest, but the expectation in this culture is if someone knocks on your door that you know you must let them in, you must give them food, and you must let them stay for the evening. And so given that cultural background, this parable begins to unfold with some sense. There's someone who comes in and they have eaten their daily bread and they have no more. And now they have a guest to feed and the laws of hospitality and not just loving themselves but loving their neighbor compel them to go find someone else's daily bread to help them feed this person. Now it's midnight, so they, they, they go to the next house, and if you've ever seen one of these houses, the people sleep together. Not like us where we have all our separate rooms and separate bathrooms for all of our kids or whatever. It's like all of them, one room, all the kids, parents, anybody else, one room. So when you're knocking so that they can hear, all can hear. Now, do you see how inappropriate that can be in many cultures? You're waking the family up to ask a question of the father. That's what you need to see when you read this. And so this impudent or insolent friend or neighbor comes and keeps knocking and keeps calling out. And the father says, what are you doing? You're going to wake up my whole family. The hero of the story won't stop. 
He won't stop until to just get him out of his hair. The father of the house with the bread gives him the bread. Here's the interesting thing. If you are an Asian culture, you realize that this failure to read the room is epic. If you're Korean, there's no nunchi here. If you're Chinese, I don't even know how to say it, but I'll try. Yan se. There's none of that here. He can't read the room. The Greek word literally means a lack of sense of what is actually socially appropriate. (laughs) He's shameless. But because of his shamelessness, he gets the bread so he can love his neighbor. And Jesus says, that's what you should be like. In prayer, ask, seek, knock, and it will be opened. You will find. It will be given. There's a threefold repetition, and if you know something about Hebrew idiom, when they want to magnify something, they repeat it. They want to magnify it to the highest degree, like holy, 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 they repeat it three times. This may be, although he's using different words, a kind of amplification by threefold repetition here, because what he's saying is, be shameless, insolent in your calling out to God and in your praying. I'm going to tell you a couple stories for those of you who are new, which is like 99% of you, because you don't know the story of 41 Britain. When we first came here in 2005 to plant Grace Toronto, we needed a a building. We couldn't find it anywhere. And a realtor came to me, and he asked me um, if if I wanted to rent some space. Well, I asked him. And he said, I said, uh, yeah, I'd like to rent space for 100 people. I'm trusting God for 100 people in our church one day. And he said, why don't you buy a building? And so... um, I said, I can't afford to buy a building. I have 30 people, and our school loans are higher than our <laughs> bank account. And uh, he said, um, I'm, I went to Catholic school. Don't you believe in a God who like, made heaven and earth in seven days? Where's your faith? And I said, uh, well, you're a better theologian right now than I am, so uh, I'll put in an offer. And so I called my mentor, and he prayed this prayer. He said, God, you do miracles. You've done miracles throughout history. I know we're Presbyterian, but why not us? (laughs) Give us this building. So then I realized I needed to call a prayer meeting, so I asked for a site visit and brought the core group, and 20 of us prayed throughout the building. Though they had 10 offers, around $2.2 to $2.1 million, it turned out by the provision of God, that the person fielding the offers and choosing who to sell to was my former client when I was a lawyer. And he refused those 10, said, I feel called to sell to you, and decided not to take those offers, even though ours was $300,000 less. Well, it turned out to be a lot less than $300,000 less. Then we got a call from Sue's dad in Florida. Hey, do you need any money to buy a building? Yeah, actually, we're looking for a down payment. Great, I got a church planter who came into an inheritance. He's got $600,000 U.S. to lend to you interest-free for a down payment. Call this number. Never met the man. Now we had a down payment. Just needed funding. Couldn't find funding. Everyone just said no. We 
canceled the deal. Three or four months later, my realtor calls and says, hey, he's still holding out. He says he feels called to sell to you. I said, you tell him that his seller needs to become our mortgage company. So I got a call from that guy. And he said, hey, Dan, how's it going? I said, hey, Stephen. And he said, I hear you want to buy a building. I said, uh, did you hear that we need your guy to be our mortgage company? Because we have no one who's willing to finance us. He says, well, you got a chance because he just changed his answering machine blurb. It now says, may the peace of Christ be with you. I think he's become one of you born again guys. Two days later, we had a loan at way below interest rate, interest only, so we, this tiny group of 30, and we moved into that building. God gave it to us through prayer. And as we were prayer walking around that miraculous building, I brought in a guy from New York City. He's um, at Redeemer. He was my coach on how to do all this stuff. And we're prayer walking, and we're walking up Sherburn, and then the guy who's showing us all, all the uh, neighborhoods to pray for, the neighborhoods that are uh, experiencing homelessness, we got to Allen Gardens, and my mentor said to me, now, Dan, just so you know, that little building that you just bought, that's okay for now, but I think you should pray about trying to find a building like that. And he pointed across Allen Gardens at this very building. Nine years later, by a series of miracles, we bought this building. God knew the whole time. We had prayed, failed, been frustrated, kept praying, and God held on to us and gave us above and beyond what we could ever have imagined because we just kept asking, why not us? I know we're Presbyterian, but why not us? Sandy Miller said these words. He was Anglican, and he felt like the Holy Spirit needed to be unleashed in his church. So he asked for it to be unleashed, and things started to happen. And he said, this is my reflection. We were afraid to pray for people to be healed when they got sick, so we didn't pray, and nobody got healed. We believed that God could heal, and we began to pray for everyone to be healed and only some got healed. But some is a lot better than none. You keep asking. Because what it says here is what you ask. God may not give you what you want, but he won't poison you with what he gives you because he's a father. I have a teenage daughter. She's like every teenage daughter I've ever heard of. She asks for everything. She's spectacularly good at asking, as all teenagers are. I'm her father. She knows that when she was about one day old, I went and wrapped myself around her little finger because I love her. I do sometimes say no, but I often say yes because I'm her father. And when I say no, it's because my love makes me think that no is the better answer for her. That's who God is. How do you know? Because God had a son. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was the delight of his soul. And Jesus walked this earth for you and I to become our bridegroom. But then one day when he was about to die, Jesus, like all of us, went to his father in his pain in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, 
if you are willing, take this from me. But if not, let thy will be done. And in that moment, as he betrothed himself to us as his bride, his father said, no. I say no to that so that I can say yes to every single person who by faith wants to come. I need you to go to the cross and pay for their sin so they can come to me as their loving, adopting father. So I say no to you so I can say yes to the world. Men and women, go to God with reverent desire. Go to God with radical dependence. And go to God with ridiculous shamelessness. And he hears you. He answers you. He loves you. He's your father. I prayed for my father for decades. My father was a very proud man. I had him on a pedestal, but I was afraid of him. Unlike my daughter's relationship with me, I never asked my father for anything because I was too afraid of him. I prayed for 26 years that my father would become a Christian. And as he was slipping away into Alzheimer's, I really began to get discouraged and despair. 26 years I had been knocking on that door, and he had never answered it. But as my father began to slip into the depths of Alzheimer's, he began to soften in the depths of his soul, and he began to be more open. And Sue's father, who had developed a good relationship with him, flew up from the States and came to see him before Alzheimer's took him away. And I remember Sue's dad laying it out for him. Would you like to receive Jesus tonight? This is what he offers you. And my father saying, let me do it in my own way. Uh, I'm a very private man, but thank you. The next day I was, I was driving him to his medical facility where he was being cared for. I said, Dad, how are you doing? He said, son, it's really frustrating. You know, I'm slipping in and out of this disease. So sometimes I'm lucid and then sometimes I lose it and then I come out and I know I've just been irrational. It's the most frustrating feeling in the world. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, you know, Jesus says I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die, but have everlasting life. How do you feel about that, Dad? And I was trembling. And he turned to me and he said, Son, I'm counting on it. Those were the last rational words in the last conversation I had with my dad. But I have a good hope that I will see him again with Jesus because after 26 years, God answered my shameless, shameless requests. Go to your father, he loves you. Go reverently. Go dependently. Go shamelessly. He's waiting to hear and he's wanting to answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your gifts of grace. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the joy of being your child. I struggle. I struggle with self-absorption. I struggle with self-dependence. I struggle with discouragement, just like people in this room. But I pray your spirit would come and awaken us to your beauty, to your love, to your willingness to hear and answer. 
In Christ's name, amen. Well, we have time for time. a couple questions. Q&A? Yep. Okay. So, Dan, we have uh, a couple questions here, if you can answer them succinctly. Can you change the mind of God through persistent prayer is our first question. Can you change the mind of God through persistent prayer? I don't. My systematic theology says no and yes. My experience says yes. I'm not positive ontologically because God knows everything. He knows that he's going to turn his no into a yes through my persistence. Does that help you? Probably not at all. (laughs) What I would say is you will experience God as responsive if you persist in prayer. The analogy that was given to me once, and I like it still the best, was you can be in the upper bleachers in the nosebleeds watching the Raptors win the championship. It's kind of exciting, but all you did was sit there and watch it. You can be down having a front row seat because you're paid more for the ticket, or you can be on the bench contributing to it. Raptors are going to win. Which part of the building are you going to occupy? The more involved you are, the more you pray, the more you're in the game, the more you rejoice in it, I think. That's my really bad analogy answer. The next question in response to that is, how do you know you're praying enough? How do you know you're praying enough? You know the answer to that, you're never praying enough. Um, there are different kinds of prayer. There is structured prayer that you take time away. Um, there are people. There are people at very high levels in the in, in, on the path in the law firms and the banks that stop for a moment in the middle of what they're doing, let God in, ask for wisdom. People hardly even notice that it's happening. It's still prayer. So what I would say is that kind of awareness, letting God in moment by moment, we really need to learn to cultivate because we get caught up in the strategies and the moments, et cetera, and we don't. I know one person takes a walk just around their building 15, 20 minutes, a couple times a day. They're at a very high level in their financial institution, but they just need to recenter themselves. It's beautiful. You're never praying enough, just, but he loves it when you pray. Great. Uh, One other question is, if God already knows what I need and want, what's the point of praying for what I want or asking him for what I want? What's the point of being a father? You already know what your kid wants and what they need. What's the point of letting them ask you and then delighting them by saying yes? The point is not the provision. The point is the gladness and the joy and the relationship. God already knows everything. That doesn't mean God. God's not AI. God has a heart. He wants you to experience him. He knows that you experience relationship with people dynamically. It's a give. It's a take. It's a call and a response. It's a you're there when I need you. 
And so though he has omniscience, he's a person, and so he meets you dynamically in those ways so that you can experience the fullness of the personhood, not just the attributes, but the full personhood of God. So I think God meets you dynamically, though he knows everything. He, you know, God, God knows everything, God ha- has everything, but he loves to be asked and he loves to be treated as a father so you can feel like a daughter or a son? Well, thank you. Uh, Great questions, everybody. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up for the song of response, Um, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Father, we love you, and you taught us a way to pray that shows our love and actually catalyzes our love because it takes our eyes off you. So we want to respond to you in the way that you taught us that we call the Lord's Prayer. So I'm just going to pray that and I'm going to ask anyone who wants to to join me. For those of us who know the tradition, it's we'll use forgive us our trespasses, not debts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us rise and sing.